Christ is risen. Well, that was cool. Had to do that. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs 29. We're going to jump back into our series, When People Are Big and God is Small. Uh, we're talking about how to overcome the fear of man by growing in the fear of the Lord. We'll, we'll get to the verse in, in just a minute. Before we do, I, I want to tell you about a lady named Trish Gower. She, uh, last, last summer, July of, of last year, uh, Trish was diagnosed with acid reflux. She was actually diagnosed because of some symptoms she had been having. She was diagnosed over the phone. Uh, she had attempted to get uh, an in-person visit with her doctor, wasn't able to. She's in the United Kingdom because of some restrictions there. And uh, so they, they said, well, it's obvious this is acid reflux. Um, uh, gave her some, some medication, told her what to do, and uh, also told her that she would be able to keep it in check if she followed the directions. Uh, but Trish did not get better, even with the prescription and with the directions she had been given. Though she followed them, she did not get better. In fact, she got a lot worse really quickly. She eventually did go to the hospital because of extreme pain and even difficulty breathing. And it didn't take long for them to look at Trish to realize that she had been badly misdiagnosed. For the last several months, she had not been struggling with acid reflux. She'd been struggling with lung cancer. Lung cancer that was now not just confined to her lungs, but had spread all over her body. She had noticed the symptoms early enough that when she first was interested in going to the doctor, it's believed that she might have gotten treatment and been okay. But unfortunately, she was misdiagnosed and tragically died because of it. And this points to a really important principle that applies to all of life and not just our physical health, and that is this. You have to know what's going on inside of you if you want to respond to it, right? If you want to fix a problem, you have to know what the problem is. And it turns out that you won't respond correctly to your needs if you've misidentified them. Now, why am I talking about this? Well, in our midweek series, we've been looking at the, the different ways we fear man. And tonight, we're not talking about a particular fear of man. So I'm going to break with my tradition a little bit and, and instead talk about a mindset that is underneath all of these fears. There's a mindset we have that lies underneath our different problems with the fear of man. When when people are big and God is small. Our verse says, our verse tells us this, that the fear of man, Proverbs 29, 25, it should be on, on the screen. The fear of man bringeth a snare, okay? To live in the fear of man, as we've said, is like a trap that you fall into. But 
whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Now, when we fear people, not only are people too big, and that's a problem, people can loom too large in our lives, but not only are people too big, it turns out that often our desires are even bigger. And our desires, the way we think about our needs, can be so consuming that it actually weakens our faith in God. You see, our our desires are based on what we assume we need. And it turns out we may not know our needs as good as God does. Now, before we go any further, I want to make a clarification. (laughs) Um, uh, This this, uh, message is like one of those conversations you have that can be really, really helpful if it's understood correctly, and um, unhelpful or even dangerous if it's misunderstood. Now, I take the responsibility primarily on me. I need to be very, very careful how I articulate this principle, because I feel like there's a very a narrow line between uh, this message being helpful, helpful for you and this message uh, being damaging or even upsetting if you don't fully understand what I'm saying. So I'm going to be as absolutely clear as I can, okay? But, but I, I, for your part, I want you, this is the best way you can help me out and help yourself out. As you're listening to this sermon, because I don't want to be misunderstood, um, please listen carefully when I make disclaimers. Can we all kind of nod our head and agree to do that tonight? I'm going to have a few disclaimers, and I really, really want you to get those disclaimers and, and not leave here saying that I taught something that I did not, okay? Some of you think this is funny that I'm so worried about this. So if that gets you to listen, then I guess it's good. So we're talking about our needs, and the title of my message is Cups and Mirrors, okay? Cups and Mirrors. You have no idea what that means, but you will in, in just a moment. If you have your handout, you may have already figured it out. How we think about our needs is directly tied to our view of God and our view of people. And further, how you think about your needs will, in large part, determine whether or not you allow people to control your life. And and here's the truth. We discern our real needs by discovering our true shape. Okay? We discern our real needs by discovering our true shape. No, I'm not talking about your weight. The shape of our soul, the shape of us as a person, not necessarily your physical shape. I I want you to think about the popular understanding of the self, how most people understand themselves. Uh, A lot really is, uh, a a lot of this is revealed when we listen to people talk about what they need, okay? If only my children would listen to me. You ever heard that? Have you ever said it? (laughs) I have. If only she or he would show some interest in me. If you're a teenager, maybe. Hopefully you're not down here. You're supposed to be upstairs. But you may have heard a teenager say on at least one occasion, if only my parents would give me more freedom. Have you ever said or heard this? If only my boss would notice me and what I accomplish. If only that person would stop believing gossip about me. If only. 
Our, our, our cries of, for, for our, a lot of our needs go like this. If these people just did what I wanted them to do, then I would be happy. And if these people would stop doing what I don't want them to do, then I would be happy. Now, you still may be thinking, what in the world does this have to do with people being big and God is small? If, if, if you think, if the way you approach life is that uh, people, other people have to meet your needs to make you happy, then when they don't meet your needs, you, you won't be happy. And you know what that means? It means that you're letting other people run your life. Either by giving you what you want, or in many cases, withholding what you want. If other people would fill me with, fill in the blank, then I would be okay, then I would be fulfilled, then I could continue living. Here's the popular view of the person. This is how most people think of themselves. The popular view of how a person is made is like this, that our basic shape is that of a receptacle, a cup, a cup that holds needs. We have a long list of needs, psychic needs, uh, but all of these needs tend to cluster around two big ones, the need for love and significance. We want desperately other people to love us, and we want to be significant in other people's eyes. It's not that we want to be significant as much as we want other people that know us and who have met us to think in their minds that we are significant. So again, we have a lot of needs. We have a lot of needs that we, we want our cup to be filled with, but most of them cluster around these two things, to be loved and to be significant. Now, if you think about yourself as a cup, if you think yourself about yourself as someone that just holds needs, um, then if people are giving them to you, you will feel okay. You'll feel put together. You will feel fulfilled. But if people are withholding them from you, and the cup, as the pessimist would say, is empty or half empty, uh, then you won't feel okay. You will feel empty because people have not given you what you think you need most. Does everything make sense so far? Are we good? Okay. This is how most people think about themselves. That, that they are a container that holds needs. And if their needs are being met, then they are happy. And if their needs are not being met, they are in a deficit and feel empty. So most likely, all of us have either been totally given over to this view, or uh, even if we've moved on from this view and, and grown in the Lord in other ways, we can at least be pulled into this kind of thinking, okay? Because it's our nature as broken and fallen humans. So uh, to, to help us, to help you see how much this cup defines you, how much uh, this connects with how you really think about yourself and your needs, I want to do just a quick self-assessment. It's in your uh, handout. I want you to either underline or circle the statements that you have either said or at least thought. You may have never said these things out loud, but for some of you tonight, there's two or, or three of these statements that resonate deeply with you, okay? For a series we've done in the past, this would kind of be like finding the lies that you've believed. So I want you to think about these statements. In order to be happy and live a meaningful, enriching life, 
I need my close friends to appreciate me. I need my husband to love me. I need my wife to respect me. I need a sense that I accomplish a lot at work. I need my children to obey me. I need to find a romantic relationship. I need my coworkers to let me give my opinion or express myself. I need my pastor to listen to and understand me. Now, if you're still wondering what does this have to do with the fear of man, again, um, when we're thinking about the fear of man, God must be bigger to you than people are. And if God is not bigger to you, uh, bigger to you than people are, people will control your life instead of God leading your life. People will determine your behavior. People will determine your thoughts. People will determine your actions. God should be your Lord, not other people. Not only because God has a right to be your Lord, but it turns out God is much better at doing it. Other people stink at being your Lord. So, if you let people control your life, they will make you pretty miserable. But if we think that to be happy and fulfilled, then it all comes down to other people uh, essentially being resources for us to use. If we think of other people as just our need meters, then as long as they do what we want them to do, we feel okay. But whenever they don't, and there will be times they don't, then we'll be devastated. I'm not saying you'll always be unhappy if you think of yourself as a cup. Sometimes your spouse will love you or will respect you. Sometimes your friends will appreciate you. Sometimes your coworkers will listen to you and your children will respect you, but sometimes they won't. Sometimes they won't. If you see yourself as the cup, you will live, if you see yourself, your life as a cup that just exists to be filled with needs, you will live a life completely in the control of other people who either give you what you think you need or withhold it. So, so what is the alternative to living like this? Hopefully there's an alternative, right? Well, it's a, it's a different view of ourselves, the biblical view of the self, which is not a cup. Now, you, you may be already thinking, David, I get where this is going. Um, I've thought of myself as having all these needs that other people need to meet. You're telling me that God helps fill the empty cup too, right? That God's going to make me happy, that God's going to make everything okay instead of people. Well, well, hold on. You may be tempted to think that if that if we define ourselves by our longings, our desires, all our unmet expectations, everything we want in life, and just bring that to God, then he is somehow obligated to just give us that. You may be tempted to Christianize your lust and think, yeah, I'm still a cup and I just have these needs, but it's not people's job to meet them. It's God's job. He exists to meet all my needs. Now, that may sound very spiritual and very Christian, but that's not how the Bible presents it at all. That's not the biblical view of the self. You see, God does not exist for our cup of needs to be filled. God does not exist to make you feel better about yourself. 
Now listen, there's one of those disclaimers, okay? Listen. Uh, David, are you saying we don't have needs? No, we do have needs, okay? We have needs. We have biological needs. That's how God created us. We even have relational needs. We do need relationships with other people. We have physical needs, okay? I am not saying you don't have needs. I'm not even saying God doesn't care about your needs. That's not what I said. But I am saying this. If those needs become the only way we see ourselves, then we will see other people as tools to fill us, and maybe even God is someone that we've created to make us happy. Yes, we have needs. I did not say otherwise. But you are more than your needs. You're not less than your needs. I'm not trying to take this away from you and give you something worse. Actually, what I'm going to be giving you tonight is much, much, much better. God has a better alternative to the cup. You do have needs, but you are more than that. Everyone on the same page so far? Okay. So if the cup metaphor is wrong, if we shouldn't just see ourselves as these receptacles for other people to make happy, then how should we understand ourselves? Well, here's the metaphor I want to give you. The Bible doesn't present us as cups, but instead as mirrors. The Bible doesn't present us as cups, but instead as mirrors. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. God's design in creation. God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So, uh, verse 27, God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Once again, we're not cups, but the Bible presents us as mirrors. Here's what the Bible teaches, okay? This may sound like bad news, but it's actually really, really, really good news if you understand it. We did not create God, okay? And because we didn't create God, we don't get to decide what his purpose is. God is uncreated. God gets to decide what his purpose is. Now, the good news in that is he's picked a really good purpose, okay? And he's for us, and he loves us. But we don't get to decide what God is for because we didn't make him. But because God created us, because we didn't pop into this earth on our own, and we, didn't, we certainly did not create ourselves, though we don't get to decide what God's purpose is, God gets to decide what our purpose is. We didn't make him, he made us. And here's how he made us, to be mirrors to reflect him. What does it mean to be made in his image? What does it mean to have his likeness? Well, it means not only does God not exist to fulfill our needs, but it means that we exist for two things. Number one, to be in relationship with God. And then number two, to reflect his character. We're not created to be tanks, but conduits. I almost call this message tanks and conduits, but I thought it sounds like some sort of gameplay mode on Call of Duty. And cups and mirrors sounded a lot more tame. But I hope you get the picture. We're not created, we're not created just to get stuff from God. God's not our cosmic butler. 
Now, you may have grown up with that image of God, or you may have some sort of cultural image of God that's like that, but the God of the Bible isn't like that. And again, the good news is he's not less than that. It's, It's that he's way better than that. And this God does love us, and he does care for us, but he doesn't exist to meet our needs. So what what do we really need then? If we're not receptacles, we're conduits. If we're not uh, cups, we're mirrors. What are what is our ultimate need anyway? Well, to understand what we need, we must look to God. And when we look to God, what what do we see? Not a created being who exists to make us feel better about ourselves, but a Creator who seeks to share His glory. You, you see, God's great mission in the world is to put on to put His glory on display. Now, for some of you, especially if you came maybe from a secular background, that sounds really egotistical. And it would be if it was one of us doing it, right? If it was one of us doing that, if our mission was to put our glory on display, that would be selfish because it wouldn't help anybody out. But the thing is, God is so good and so incredible and amazing When his mission is to put his glory on display, when his mission is to be known, it's not selfish because it makes everyone's lives better. (laughs) Because that's what we were created to do. God is not selfish for creating this world to share his glory because it turns out that the best kind of lives we can have are lives in which we know God. He's not selfish at all. God's, if you look at the story of Scripture, the story of redemption, it's about God sharing his glory. God being known and his people making him known. That's why he installed a king. It was for the glory of God. If you look at 1 Kings 8, that's why Solomon dedicated the temple. It was for God's glory, for God to be known and to be made known, for him to be made much of. If you look at John 7 and 17, Jesus makes it clear his whole life in ministry was to glorify God. Even the crucifixion. As dark and painful as it was, we see in John 12 that even the cross was for God's glory because it is through the cross that God is made known and that we can have a relationship with him. Ephesians 1 says that we're, pray, we're, we're saved to the praise of the glory of his grace. In Matthew 5 and 1 Corinthians 10, Jesus and Paul say that the whole Christian life is about God's glory, making him known. When we get to the end of the story, even the New Jerusalem in Revelation 21 makes it very clear that when we're with God forever and eternity, it's all going to be there to display God's glory. See, when we look to God first, then we, we can make better sense of the question, who am I? The, the question that the Bible answers is not, who am I and what will God do for me? The question is, who is God? And then how do I live in response to that? What does it mean to be a person in this world that God has created? The Westminster Catechism, then the first question, gets it right. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. So what does it mean to be a mirror instead of a cup? Here's what it means. It means that that we get to the point where we recognize, and, and this is not an instant thing, This is more of a journey. This is going to take some time. But we get to the point where we recognize that I exist to be in a relationship with God and then to reflect his character. That I'm not a cup, but that I'm a mirror. There's a really cool image of this in the Exodus story with Moses. If you go to Exodus 34, Exodus 34, there's an amazing image of what this looks like. 
the, the Bible says, It came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord hath spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Now, uh, this, this idea of spreading God's glory or even reflecting him like a mirror, if we look at Moses, may sound a little bit irrelevant, right? Because if you're wondering, well, is, are, David, are you saying that I'm supposed to be like this Middle Eastern warrior leader who goes up into a mountain and has a glowing face? Because that's a little bit out of my league. No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. But Paul takes this uh, concept or this story and actually applies it to our spiritual lives in 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18. Not by telling people they have to be um, a bearded Middle Eastern men who go up into a mountain, but by saying this. Uh, he says, we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glo- glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So, as Moses uh, uh, looked on God and then was able to reflect this this, this beauty, this shining, we look at Jesus and something even better happens. It's actually much better than having a glowing face, although that was, that was cool. When we look to Jesus, because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart and in my heart, as we look to Jesus, we become progressively more like Jesus from one stage of glory to another stage of glory. Now, that's going to look different for each one of us. For some of us, he's, he's sanctified a lot of our emotions but maybe not as much your thought life. For some of you, he's really sanctified a lot of your thought life, but maybe not in your emotions and how you talk to other people. And there's a whole list of things we could go through, but we have this promise that as you and I, not, not look at our own needs, but as we look to Jesus, that God, through his spirit, is changing us a little bit every day to make us a little more like his son. Do you see what this reflecting glory means? We don't literally shine, but it's better than what Moses had because we have this new character, uh, the character of God, of godliness that comes out of our relationship with Him. You see, our fundamental relationship, your fundamental relationship is not with yourself, and it's not even with others. Pause, disclaimer, your relationship with others is important, okay? But that's not your fundamental relationship. And in fact, If you ignore your relationship with God to try to improve your relationships with others, they won't get better. They will get much worse. Our fundamental relationship, and if if you're a Christian, your fundamental identity is to know God. And out of that, we can give others what God has given us. We look to Jesus, and we become more like him. Do you get this? Do you get this, how we're not a tank, but we're a conduit? You may be thinking, okay, that sounds amazing, but how can we really do this? Does the Bible really give us clues as to what this would look like? Yes. In the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus uh, doesn't, a lot of people look on the Sermon on the Mount as this like set of just moral instructions, but it's, it's, it's much more than that. It's, it's, uh, Jesus is inviting people into a kingdom where he transforms them, and then out of that transformation, they, they do different things. 
Do you remember the beatitude about mercy? Jesus doesn't say, be merciful, does he? None of us could do that. He said, blessed are the merciful. Why? For they shall receive mercy. The ones who are receiving mercy from God are then the people who can give it out to other people. God gives us mercy. And not because we're a cup, just because we get mercy. No, we get mercy so then we can give it to other people, so that we can have the character of being merciful. How, how would this look like if you're, if you're a father? Well, um, I, you, you can approach this in two ways. You can say, I'm going to try to be a good dad because my kids need a good dad, and they do. But, you know, an even greater way to think about fathering is this. I want to father them well because of how well God has fathered me. Because the ultimate example of fatherhood is not your own best imaginations. It's actually God. It's God. You think about if you're, if you're a mother, you know, if you're a Christian mother, you know how to nurture and show care and kindness. Why? Because God has done that for you. No one has been as nurturing to you as God has. And, and because you're created uh, not just to receive nurture from God, but to then receive it and give it to others, God will enable you to do that. This applies to our marriage, if you're married. Um, what does it look like to be uh, a mirror in a marriage instead of a cup? Well, it, it would mean this. It would mean that for you, the ultimate purpose of your marriage becomes um, living out the character of Christ to your spouse and not getting what you want from your spouse. Okay? Here's, here's, here's kind of what that looks like. Um, there, was a, there was a really popular book written about Ephesians 5. And uh, that's, it had some good stuff. But the, the, the main philosophy of the book was if God... Uh, tells husbands to love their wives, then the biggest need for a wife is love. And if, if God tells wives to respect husbands, then obviously, the author concludes, um, he does this only because uh, the, the biggest need for the husband is respect. So, so here's the, that approach to marriage. Uh, I have this need for respect, so you better give it to me. Or if you're a wife, I have this need for love, so you better give it to me. Now, you don't get that out of Ephesians 5, do you? At all. Because when you look, who is our example of love and respect? Well, it's Jesus. Um, does Jesus need his bride's respect to be like a full, complete person? No. No. Uh, Jesus loves because he loves are you seeing what this would look like? If, you're, if your motivation for your marriage is, I'm going to meet this person's needs um, because we're in this contractual relationship and they meet not my needs, well, here's what happens. When one of you in that, if it's a contract like your cell phone company, when one of you stops giving uh, service, and, or whether that's love or respect or anything else, uh, you're going to bail out of the contract. But that's, that's not how God describes marriage, is it? No, you see, my, my role as a husband... When I'm at my best is not 
to give my, try to meet my wife's needs and make her a, an emotionally fulfilled person because she needs that in hopes that she'll do the same for me. My job is to love because of how much Jesus has loved me. And when that's the standard, and that's clearly what Paul intends to be the standard, then I don't have an excuse to back out because Jesus has not stopped loving me. Now, what's really amazing is when marriage, again, when it's at its best, when we're most concerned not about getting our needs met, but about showing the character of Christ to our spouse, it ends, what's funny is it ends up being way more satisfying. You'll actually be happier by not primarily being worried about how happy the other person can make you. Isn't that amazing? What, what would it look like for service? You know, Jesus' primary teaching about service is not, people out there need to be served, so go serve them. No, Jesus... Um, Jesus makes it clear in Mark chapter 10 that the example for service is him. I came not to minister. I'm sorry. I came not to be ministered to, but to minister. Jesus didn't come to get his needs met. That's not what a servant does. Jesus came to serve. It also applies to forgiveness. This is maybe one of the most difficult things to do, especially if you see yourself as a cup, because sometimes it seems that not a lot of satisfaction will come out of forgiveness, does it? But we're not, we're not told to forgive because the other person needs it or because we need the good vibes that come out of it. In Ephesians, Paul tells the Ephesians, the Ephesian Christians this, that they are to forgive others, here's the standard, as God has forgiven them in Christ. I know I, I mangled the verse, but it's, it's the idea. Paul is not saying, hey, there's other people in the church that you, you've offended, that you need to be reconciled. Hey, these other people in church really, really need your forgiveness. They're going to be really upset if they're not forgiven. You need to make them happy. Go forgive them. No, Here, here's the motivation. Look at how much Jesus has forgiven you. Now, go give that forgiveness to others. This is all throughout the New Testament. See, in all of these identities, our identities as mercy givers, as fathers, as mothers, as spouses, as servants, as forgivers, even as church members, we reflect God's glory and God's character, not because we don't get anything, no, but because first we receive from Him and then we give to others what we have received. God does not ask you to show anything to other people that he has not already given you in Jesus. You see, you discern your real need by discovering your true shape. And our shape is not a cup, it's a mirror. In case I've been misunderstood, we do have needs, but we are more than our needs. And listen, our needs, plural, are less important than our need, singular. And that need is to have a relationship with God fundamentally. And if we misdiagnose our fundamental need, our lesser needs, longings, and desires will run our lives. And when our needs, longings, and desires that have to do with other people run our lives, guess what? Other people run our lives. It doesn't mean you'll always have a bad week. Sometimes you'll have a good week, but it'll all be dependent on the idol of others, not on the God that we are called to look to. Our fundamental need, then, is to be in relationship with God and then to reflect His character to others. So, well, the popular view of self is that we are cups, 
who have needs. The biblical image for the self is that we are a mirror. Yes, we have need and we have needs, but our lesser needs are not as important as our need for God. And when our lesser needs take over, our need for God will be obscure and it will shrink and we'll have all kinds of problems that come out of that. Now, I I know it's possible that um, some of you might think that giving up this life as cup sounds terrifying, right? Um, Because you've lived this way so long. This is typically how we live. This is, even though, like, this principle is really important to me, I get pulled back into cup mode all the time, and it's, it's, it's just, it's our nature. But if you're not sold on it, you may think, this sounds really terrifying, because if I give up this image of myself as someone that just exists for other people uh, to make happy, I'm worried that I won't be happy. Well, I have two thoughts. If, if, you're, if you're still hung up on this and you've not bought into it, that's okay. I understand. I think most of you probably aren't brought into it, and I don't blame you. Uh, I have two thoughts, one from C.S. Lewis and then one from Jesus. So if you don't like what C.S. Lewis says, well, then listen to what Jesus says, all right? Here's Lewis in his uh, sermon, The Weight of Glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Here's the problem, Lewis says, we are far too easily pleased. When I tell you to move on from the cup to the mirror, I'm not saying that you need to have a miserable life. God doesn't offer us a a worse vision of life. What he offers us is actually a lot better. And this whole, the whole thought, actually, this whole, this whole uh, sermon is really summarized in Acts 20.35. It's not on the screen, but um, Paul quotes Jesus in Acts 20.35. Do you know what he says? I'll, uh, I'll read it to you. Uh, how that's so laboring, you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's my whole sermon right there. Now, I, I know we, we think about that verse when we do an offering or when we're uh, giving people money or doing something nice for someone. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good thing to give to people. But Jesus isn't saying it's a good thing to give to people. He's saying way more than that. He's saying it's better to live a life of giving than a life of receiving. That's radical. And I know we know the verse and we've heard the verse and we've been exposed to the verse. I, I just wanna, I want to, I want you to think about this. I really, if this is the only thing you think about with this message, I want you to think about this question. Do I really believe what Jesus said? Do I really believe a life is more blessed? And the word, by the way, means happy. Do I really believe life is happier by being a mirror, by being a conduit instead of a, a cup? Do I really believe the happy life is found in giving to others what God has given to me than instead of grasping for what I can get for myself. And if I really believe that, why don't I live it out? Why don't I live it out? It's okay to have needs, but, and, and this is, by the way, in the back of your program, on your, your handout, I, I have some space there for you to write. It's okay to have needs and concerns. God made us with needs, but here, my question for you is this. Are there needs that have loomed so large to you Needs unmet that are so devastating to you that God has become small? And during our invitation time, I really 
want you to, if there's anything comes to mind, to, to write that out. Here's, here's another help, uh, something that may help you on the journey. Again, this is not a one-time decision. This is a, this is a journey. Um, an exercise that may help you with this is the prayer of discernment. I've got that written out on the back. This is just a way to start your day asking God, God, what are you doing in my life today? And, and you know, in light of this sermon, one of the ways you could phrase that prayer would be, God, uh, how do you want me to share with others today what you have given me? You've been kind to me, God. Is there anyone I can show kindness to today? Is there anyone I can give a word of kindness to out of all the kindness you've given me? You've given me so much forgiveness, God. Is there, is there anyone that I can forgive that I've not yet? The prayer of discernment doesn't have a specific script. You don't have to follow what I've written there. It can take a lot of different uh, turns, but it's just a way to open to the Lord about what He's doing in your life. So let me ask you tonight, are you a cup or a mirror? Do you see other people, and maybe even God, as simply tools to fill your emptiness? Do you blame all your unhappiness and emptiness in life based on what other people have done to you or haven't done to you? And ultimately this, do you believe what Jesus said that a life of giving is really better than a life of just receiving? Let's all stand. Father, I thank you for your